my father was an alcoholic growing up, and without knowing why, I was reluctant to invite friends over to the house because I never knew what they were going to find. You know, on the outside, my family looked really put together, and, uh, you know, we went skiing, I went riding, I, all the outside things looked really good, but uh, very unhappy inside. I never felt like I fit in anywhere. I remember specifically coming back to school after a summer, and I would miraculously want to be, you know, that popular, outgoing, confident person that I thought everybody else was. And just every September, it would be that I would be that same old person I I used to be. I gravitated towards, quote, the beatnik type people, skipping school. And that's when I first started to drink. It just felt like I was a part of something. And I went from that feeling of being a wallflower to being really popular and outgoing and confident. Sometimes I've tried to piece together when something would cross a line into something else, but it definitely is a muddle. Anything that anyone had, I would take, and I would ask what it was later. You know, people were doing peyote, mescaline, marijuana, and really it was fun. It was all pretty much all mixed up together with the drinking and the people and just uh, living in the moment. There was a particular bar in Cambridge I would hang out in, and there was a person there that was giving out acid, LSD, and I found out later that it was about three or four times the normal dose. And the last thing I remember that was any type of normal thought was a water faucet dripping, which is today, I can't stand a water faucet dripping. And then I went into this paranoia. And to make a long story short, I ended up in the hospital where probably it took six months to stop hallucinating from that. You would think that would be a sign. (laughs) But I eventually got out of that hospital and started doing the same thing again. I was working with some people who were doing heavier-duty drugs, and I wanted to try them. It started off with amphetamines. We were forging prescriptions of this drug called desoxin. You would soak the pill, and then you would shoot the solution, and I started doing that. You, You know, this was what I had been looking for for my entire life because it just made me feel, you know, where everything was disjointed before, it just made me feel like a whole person. By that time, I had met Yvonne, who was to be my husband. He got caught up in the the whole thing. We did it together. It was just an accepted way of life. There was a part of me that knew that, quote, normal people didn't do this. But it never even crossed my mind that I had a disease. It just was, I can't explain it. 
We moved out to California in 1966 because actually it, it did begin to feel bad in Cambridge, and I thought by moving to California we could start over. I can only say it was a continuation, only much more so because it was all part of the culture. And at that point, I think it was just to come down from the amphetamines that we were introduced to opiates, heroin. We moved back to the East Coast when I found out I was pregnant. Yvonne was teaching at Harvard, so I was, quote, this academic-type wife, unquote. But then she was born, and the same thing, you know, we were just picked up where we left off. I remember going to the supermarket, and I would just see regular-type people, you know, pushing their carts, and I knew that that's what I wanted, but I didn't know how to cope with life without doing that. Yvonne had a connection in Boston and Dorchester, and there was one particular point where he drove in to get something, and the house was being watched, and he just had this image of himself being arrested and the headlines, Harvard professor arrested for drugs or something. So he quit at that point. I couldn't stop, so I began to hide it and had this whole other life in terms of being a parent with the kids, wanting to be there for them and not being able to be there. So many times I would have to pick them up at the carpool and I would be stuck in Boston waiting for my connection and I had to wait because I was physically sick and then rushing back as if everything was okay, switching gears to be the parent and then cooking dinner and doing it. It It's just painful, painful to remember all that. I had reached such a low point. All I could think about was getting money to support my addiction. And so I was stealing money from my family, my friends. I was dangerous. I knew that my family loved me, but in order for me to get the help that I needed, I had to be forcibly removed from that environment. Yvonne took out a restraining order so that I couldn't return home. I was in a rented apartment, 10 minutes from my house in Watertown. Everything that I loved was in that house in Watertown. And I couldn't go there. And at that point, the only thing that I could see out of that was to kill myself. I had read that you could commit suicide by hooking up the exhaust so that you'd breathe the carbon monoxide or something. I tried to do that, but my car was out of gas. I'd been seeing a therapist, and I called her in the middle of the night, and I just said I needed to go away. So that was probably the lowest point, N- knowing that I couldn't live the way I was and I couldn't die. I went into treatment, then was transferred to the halfway house, moved down to Falmouth, lived there for seven months. Yvonne was taking care of the children, and I would have the children on weekends. After spending seven or eight months at that halfway house, 
believe it or not, I relapsed again and went through another whole period of hiding it. I didn't want Yvonne to find out because I wanted uh, my children to come and live with me. And I tried to maintain that for months and Yvonne found out about it. Everything got turned upside down again. Yvonne didn't know what to do. I know that he loved me so much and I just couldn't, I just couldn't stop. Not one day goes by that I just, you know, that I'm just not sorry. Yvonne died of liver cancer. And when he was diagnosed, he found out he had hepatitis C. And that's when I found out I have hepatitis C too. A week before he died, I went up to his room and sat on the bed, which is the same old house in Waterdown. You know, and we were going over our whole life together. thanked him for taking care of the children when I couldn't be there for them because there was so many years in there I was so angry at him and I told Yvonne that he was always be the love of my life and his last words he couldn't even talk was ditto so I just I never want to forget that that I would give anything to change places with him. I just feel that that what a waste. What a waste. I wish that I had died instead of him. He was a wonderful father. I think with my children I think they can see the way I am today. And that that means more than anything I could ever say to them. I've come a long way. I've worked hard for that. Yeah, I've been sober for seven years. I go to AA. I feel that the program works through people, helping people. I've been working at Gosnold, a 30-day substance abuse treatment program, for six years now. I like to help people in that program. It gives life meaning for me. A few years ago, I took an art class with my daughter, and since that time, I just became obsessed with painting. When I got sober this last time, I got a horse. So part of my days are filled with riding my horse, taking care of my horse, and not Having a drink or drug is a huge part of my life, so those parts make up who I am today. And my children are a huge part of my life. My grandchildren, just, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful to be alive today. Most of all, I'm grateful for my sobriety because I could make a list three pages long of the things that I'm grateful for, but I wouldn't have all those things if I weren't 
solar.